Sales Tuners, Episode 41, Todd Muffley, Idea Man at Plan B. You know, my mom and dad weren't, that wasn't their proudest moment of me when their son opened a bathroom advertising company, but it really played a key role in my development as a business owner and a salesperson. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Ziad Abdelnour, who said, For those who understand, no explanation is needed. For those who do not understand, no explanation is possible. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Todd Muffley. Todd recently sold his agency, Fat Adam, that he had run for the past 12 years. A consummate idea man, Todd has sold everything from chemicals to vinyl fencing to ads above urinals and even pre cooked family dinners. Before he entered the business world, Todd was a Morse code interpreter for the U.S. Army, and for the last three years, he spent more than a month of each summer living on a sailboat he and his wife own in North Carolina. In fact, he's doing this interview today from that boat. Before we dive in, I want to do a quick shout out to iTunes reviewer Bon Mack, who said, I effing love this podcast. I listen to it every day on my way to and from work. Great guest on the show, and I absolutely love the quote in the beginning every time. Every morning when I listen, I get reassured that I'm in the right field and having so many similarities with many of his famous guests early in their career makes me feel like I'm building up for something massive. I am obsessed with the sales process and I never thought I would be in sales growing up, but I love it. I feel like people like me are truly a dying breed, but that is only because most people have the wrong perception of what it means to be in sales as I did growing up and same with my family. I totally dig this podcast. Keep up the good work. Now, that's some good stuff, Bonnie. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for that. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 41. But now let's get to the conversation where Todd recounts the time he slept on a glacier. You know, in my pastime, whenever I get in and do something, I typically tend to go all in for it. So I started sort of that love for getting away from the office and uh, started hiking. Hiking led to rock climbing. Rock climbing led to mountain climbing. And then my friend said, hey, let's go sleep on a glacier. And I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. So we did a mountain survival slash uh, rescue course where we spent a week on a glacier, you know, basically hanging out and uh, saving each other and from crevasses with a, a team of people. Where, where was this glacier? That was in Seattle, Washington, Mount Baker. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I literally had never heard that. So uh, learn something new uh, every day. Todd, as, as you know, in this show, you know, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. And, you know, I said in the intro that you recently sold your business. So we're going to talk about that today. But you've also got a new consultancy called Plan B. What is that? And, and talk about your sales process. How does someone decide to buy from you today? Uh, well, Plan B has a couple things, uh, areas that we focus in, but the main one is really the sales and lead nurturing. And so what that means for 
you know, for different people, different things, but for what it means for plan B marketing is sales and lead nurturing is how you're communicating with your prospect and your customers when the salesperson isn't doing it. And so, you know, we put a, a, a lot of thought and time energy into helping companies and, and salespeople think about how can they showcase their value, their culture, their products or their services outside of the typical sales process. So that's what plan B does. And how we do that is we typically start with a um, really what we call a needs analysis. And that's just the first step to really understand, one, if we can help you, and two, are you a good fit for our company? So we, we do probably two or three needs analysis for companies every month just trying to really figure out, are they a good fit for our services and consulting? Hmm. Now, I, I think you told me previously, you've sold something like $15 million worth of marketing services in your career. Is that, is that about accurate? At least that much, yep. Okay, so I, I know you sold plenty of other stuff, but that's where I want to go first before we build back up to where you are today. So take me way back. Like, How did you even get into sales? Well, coming out of the army in 1992, I got married and had a little uh, a little boy, and I was like, I have to do something. And my dad uh, was the general manager of a chemical company, and he said, "Hey, we have a territory open. Uh, come be a salesperson." I had nothing else to do, so I was like, "Sure, I'll I'll be a salesperson with no experience doing this." And so I jumped into it, and I I started in July of 1992, and my first Six months, I made $19,000, and I had a $225 a week uh, was basically my salary with a draw. And I had a wife and a kid and just didn't know how I was going to do it. But within the next year, I actually uh, built up my territory. And the third year, I was salesman of the year. So with no experience in chemicals at all, I mean, I, you said your dad had you know owned the business, but how did you penetrate that new market without having any knowledge whatsoever of the space it was uh you ever hear the term thrown into the fire <laughs> yeah. it, was, <laughs> it was that you know it's not rocket science um and i there again you know everybody that i was selling to knew the product that i sold so it's not like i had to tell them what it was what i had to do was be the person who they bought it from and so I learned enough to understand the value and the benefits of it, but then I just tried to be the the path of least resistance to help them with what their needs were. And I think that's why I was successful. I'm interested in that because I think there's a lot of implication there that is still very true in today's world and that that's the idea that you don't have to know everything about a product. What you need to do is know how to understand what your your audience or your your prospects want. So talk to me about that. Like, how were you able to become that, uh, you know, path of least resistance? Uh, you know, back in 1992, we didn't have cell phones. And so I traveled a lot and being at that customer's door, even when they didn't need anything, just saying hi, you know, asking them and building relationships with them, you know, finding out about their families in a genuine way, not in a, you know, not in a, a sales type of way, but just really just getting to know who you're selling to and really just, you know, I hate to say it, but really becoming friends with people. So you build up a level of trust that they know that you're going to be there when they call you or when they want you to come out. And so it's, it took a lot of hard work. Like I said, success didn't happen overnight, which I think it rarely does. But after three years of being there and really earning my keep, um, it just all came together. 
Now, if, if chemicals wasn't enough, I, I have to ask about this creative indoor advertising, right? So I knew about that product well before I knew you. Uh, I had seen the ads in bathrooms all over Indianapolis. What in the world gave you the idea <laughs> to put ads above urinals? Well, you know, my mom and dad weren't, that wasn't their proudest moment of me when their son opened a bathroom advertising company, but it, uh, it, it you know, really played a key role in my development as a business owner and a salesperson because we had that company from 1999 to 2005, employed a lot of people and sold a lot of ads and bathrooms. But the I got the idea from uh, an ad, uh, an article in Inc. Magazine back in like 1997. Uh, some guys up in Minneapolis were doing it. And I thought, man, that just seems so simple. Put ads in bathrooms. What do what do people do while they're in a bathroom? Nothing. Yeah, you know? they stare so at the wall. Saying, yeah, stare at the wall. So you know, I, I I almost felt like I was doing a public service, giving people something to read. But it <laughs> it was it was just this amazing thing. It's one of those. It's the simplicity of it. You know, sometimes we try to get overcomplicated and selling technology and selling great awesome things. Where it was a piece of paper, and you know, in 2005, when we sold the business, we did $550,000 in sales of pieces of paper in men's and women's bathrooms across the United States. Okay. So there's no, obviously urinals in the women's bathroom. So are you just hanging it on the inside of the, the stall door at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The women actually, actually look at the ads statistically longer than the men. So there, <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> that you have the stats on that. So, uh, but, but, that's kind of a two-sided sell, right? You had to sell the the bar or, or restaurant owner, right, to be able to put the ads in there. And then you had to go sell companies to be able to buy the actual ad placement. So what did that sales process look like? How did you open up new accounts at that point? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, so I remember when we got Applebee's as one of our clients and we stopped on a family trip on the way to Florida and we sat in the boardroom in Louisville, Kentucky of Applebee's with my two children and my wife and we sold them and we, we were just, we're giving them money, but we sold them the idea of allowing us to give them money to hang things in their bathroom. Um, which just blew my mind that you had to sell giving people money, but it was so new people just didn't understand why you, you know, why would you give me money for this? But that became an easier sale over time. The harder sale was going to people and saying, "Hey, I don't want your name associated. You know, I don't want my name associated with bathrooms." Which, you know, if they advertised in newspaper, they're kidding themselves to think that their name wasn't associated with bathrooms because everybody knows that's what happens with newspapers. But, um, you know, I always told people, you know, if you can sell ads in bathrooms, you can sell anything except life insurance. But you can sell them <laughs> almost anything. <laughs> So that I'm just I'm literally amazed by this because you you literally were creating air at this point. You you're calling it paper, but you're selling air. You're selling ideas and you're selling it to two different audiences at the exact same time. And what was the biggest challenge, right, for that? I mean, I, you you talked about some people didn't want to be associated with bathrooms, but what are the biggest challenge you had as you were growing that business and running the sales there? You know, as a, as a salesperson, I think the biggest challenge with it was showing value. You know, in today's world of metrics and statistics, you can really prove out a lot of things to people, you know, on what you sell. With that one, it was mostly anecdotal. So if the business owner 
had had experienced our product firsthand and had a positive view of it, it was much easier to sell than um, otherwise. So it, uh, women were a lot harder to sell than men. Men usually got it. Women, they were a little bit more timid about it. So Todd, most of the time that, that I've known you or when I did meet you, it was through Fat Adam, right? And your, your agency there. Um, one of the things that I remember early on is, you know, you you kind of tried to employ several salespeople uh, at that company because you didn't really want to sell the services yourself. So you wanted to be the idea guy, but most of the salespeople that came through ultimately failed for you and it, it, it did fall back to you. What, what do you think that was all about? You know, looking back at it, that's, it's, you just, you had, you just said what it was about. It's because a salesperson in the creative services industry has to sell ideas. And the salespeople that we had were selling services and products. They were selling a website. They were selling email marketing. They were selling the creation of a campaign of words and idea and, and let's say words and a placement of those words. And what I am a big proponent of is selling the vision. I'm not selling you a website. I'm selling you access to the world to buy your products or services. I'm not selling you an email uh, campaign. I'm selling you the ability to target people in their inboxes based on segmentation that will blow your mind. And so I, I, as an idea guy, it was just natural not to sell a website, but to sell what a website does. And for the salespeople that I had, it was hard for them to actually do that. So that, that's, that is a great epiphany I just had. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's not, uh, not how I tried to tee that up. But what was it, though, Todd, that I mean, one of the things that you I know you've always been great at, right? And, and I don't know how you developed this, but was it's the idea of nurturing, right? And you've done some very interesting things with regards to lead nurturing, some of which, you know, look, I've, I've stolen. Uh, but beyond email, what were you doing to keep your prospects warm or engaged? Because you weren't cold calling, right? So what were you nope. doing? Well, you know, once we once we got a prospect who was qualified, meaning that they had budget, that they needed our products or services, and we we're going through our our needs analysis, our you know our gap and the things that we do in our sales process, we 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 had this idea that while the salesperson is doing a great job talking, you know, while I'm engaging with this person. If they're if they're gonna buy a website and spend a hundred thousand dollars, do I am I arrogant enough to think that I'm the only company that they're calling? And you know, we we answered that question as no. And then we said, well, what happens when they're not talking to Todd Muffley? How can they get my culture, my love and passion for creative services? How can we show that? And so we came up with a, a five-step nurture process, which evolved over three years, but what it was, it was um Somebody would get in the mail and a, and a really bright colored envelope and they had no idea it was coming. But after we, after we spoke, if it was quali they were qualified prospect, they'd get a book. And the one book that we really latched onto was called Damn Good Advice for Those People with Talent. It was by um, George Lois, who is in the creative field considered the original Mad Men. He hates that, by the way, but that's what it is. So, But in that book, uh, Damn Good Advice for Creative People with Talent, what what he basically tells people is how an agency works and ideas. And it's really from the sixties and seventies, but it's really cool. 
And in there, we put a, a bookmark that said, come to fatadam.com slash dam and, and look at the videos that we're making that show what our favorite part of the book is. And so we sent a book, people could read it, but then they could also connect with the people of the company. And it was a huge success. So, I mean, you, you know, for, I think, uh, the last stat that we had on it was 80% of the people that we sent nurture out to went to the website. So it wow. gave us a way to, it gave us a way to connect to those people outside of me selling. And then we dripped on them either every week or every other week, depending on the time frame that we estimated that the buying cycle was going to be more things. And so like we did a comic book called sales versus marketing where we actually made the comic book, illustrated it, wrote it, produced it, um, just a way to show people a different way to look at something. We did Fat Adam greeting cards, which were very inappropriate cards that showed a side of the culture that, hey, we're a little bit more edgy, a little bit more risky. We're not afraid to use, you know, um, a swear word or two outside of the F-bomb. But And, and uh, I remember being a part of this, this campaign because I saw those greeting cards and, you know, they – they didn't completely sit right with me, right? But but I think that for you, the reason why those were so powerful was because it did show that personal uh, personality of your agency. And, and if a prospect, you know, didn't like the color, right, of that, they probably weren't going to be a good customer for you. And better to find that out in the sales process, right? When you're going through it, somebody gets a card and they're offended, better to find that out than when you're sitting in your first meeting and you say, wow, son of a bitch. And then all of a sudden you know, they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. And they hate you and it goes sideways. So, you know, it, it's, I guess I never thought of it, of turning off people, but I also didn't care if it did. Cause I, I'd rather it be turned off earlier than later. Um, and so we had, you know, we had five of these things that we sent out and, you know, I, I actually came up with a quote that I, it just resonated with me. It says, no one has ever bought less because I've cared more in it really was the reason why we did the nurturing is because if you really care about your client, you really care about showing them who you are and what your value is, no one's ever going to buy less from you because you showed that. You just have to invest in it. And so that's what we did. Todd, one of the things that I've really loved about some of the stuff that I've seen come out of your firm, um, I guess I could say your previous firm because you did sell it. But uh, uh, one of the things that I love seeing, you had this idea, and I don't know what you call it, but it was some kind of score, right? And it was how you were going to message for your prospects because not everyone is willing to go as risque maybe as you would. So you had like a one to seven scale or something like that. Talk about that. What? How, how are you getting that across to people and and what were the results that you were seeing so we we were in a meeting one day and somebody you know said how do you figure out what tone is and instead of just coming up with some bs answer like most creative people do we actually came up with a, a tonal scale and on one end of the tonal scale we had fred rogers because everybody knows who mr rogers is and they associate with this caring, loving, gentle person who would never say anything ill-willed about anybody. Matter of fact, it, you know, it's just the total saint. And then on the other end of the spectrum, on the 10 side, we had Joan Rivers. And everybody knows Joan, Joan Rivers would tell you to F off and, you know, go blank yourself in a heartbeat at a drop of a hat. And so now people have they, they understand the arena of scale, right? So now they can think to themselves, Fred Rogers, Joan Rivers, great. 
but they could never understand where they are at or where they wanted to be. So then we said, listen, Fat Adam's a seven in that scale. So we're not afraid to say damn shit or hell. And that's a seven. And then most people would say, okay, we're a two. And I swear, 90% of the time, people said they were a two or a three. And after we talked to them, they always wanted to be safe and they always wanted to be in that area. And then I'd say, I said, what do you think a four gets you? Like you say that you're a two and I told you the qualifications for a seven were swearing, but a six isn't swearing and a five is less than that. And a four is even way less than that. But you said you're a two. And so part of the thing that we try to do, and I think you see this probably more than I do in, in the way that salesmen communicate with their prospects is they're not real with them. And so they're a two and, and a two is, hi, my name is Todd Muffley. I work for Plan B Marketing, and I'd really like to schedule 15 minutes of your time to talk to you about lead sales and nurturing. Here's an example of lead sales and nurturing. Please click this white paper to download it. Let me know if we can schedule something. Here's a link to my calendar. Nobody in their right mind thinks that that campaign's going to be successful. It's it's just, and it may have been successful in the past, but it's not going to be successful now because everybody's doing it. And so the way that we helped with the way that we stood out and the way that we helped our clients stand out was to say, listen, we're not asking you to be a seven, but if you're a two, let me push you to a four. If you're a three, let me take you to a five. If you're a four, let's evaluate a four. Let's test what a four is, but let's test it against a six and let's see what gets best response. The biggest problem with that, I mean, I, th I think it's you know a terrific system, but the biggest problem with that is people get really upset when one person out of thousands that they're trying to sell to doesn't like the tone. They don't. They don't like what they heard. They don't like the way it was delivered. They don't like the frequency that it was delivered. So the, C, the CEO or the VP of sales would get involved and say, "I can't believe you sent that email out." And I say, I can't believe that you cared about one person being upset when you can see the results that's so generating over here. And so we really had to do upfront contracts with people to make sure that they understood that people aren't going to be happy. A certain percentage of people don't like this tone and style and that you can't please everybody, but this will cut through the clutter. And so it, it's it's always a challenge, but... I think it's worth the worth the battle to stand out in people's inboxes and mailboxes. Well, I, I think the results that you've had uh, speak for themselves in that. And 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 I know that I you know I get so many cold solicitations via email every single day, and I send a lot of cold solicitations uh, every day via email between myself and you know a lot of my clients. And everyone that I've ever received from from your team or any of the clients who you've done this stuff for have always stood out, whether it was the subject line or the messaging. And 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 you're right. I mean, you just actually react to it as opposed to just hitting uh, delete. So I, I absolutely love that. Todd, something that is is kind of standing out to me right now is this concept or this question, if you will, are salesmen born or are they created? What's your what's your take on that? Wow. Um, I honestly have to tell you that there's no such thing as a natural born salesman. That's I I think that people are born and they they either are people 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 persons or not people persons, you know, you have an extrovert or an introvert, 
But I don't think that people are natural born salespeople. I think it's a process. I think you can teach it. And I think you teach it to the right person and they'll be successful. I I think, you know, some of this, I've, I've seen some of the stuff that you the work you've done with your daughter, uh, who definitely was not a you know natural born salesperson and things that you've trained her to be able to open up opportunities. Uh, just to brag on her real quick, you recently shared something on LinkedIn that uh, the, the, the team, the CEO, the CMO from Cliff Bar. Right. I think it was yep. uh, actually sent her a, th- a handwritten thank you card uh, because of the outreach that she had done. So uh, anyway, I just had to brag on her because I thought that was uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, one of the other things that has always stood out to me and you wrote this and it's probably been a couple of years. So I went I went way back and tried to do some research um, uh, on you here. The idea of the curse of knowledge and what you had written was the knowledge in your head may be harder for others to comprehend than you think. What, what does that mean? So, you know, I was struggling with something one time, and as most people do, they go to Google. And what I found was, was um, I believe it's a Harvard uh, case study. And it, long story short, I don't want to bore people, but the interesting part of this case study was is that when participants were given music and they, were, they, they looked at the songs on a list, they, were, they, asked, the, um, they asked the participant, if you were to tap these songs on a table with a pencil and you had somebody sitting across from you, how many songs do you think that they would get right? And the participant would look at, let's just see these 10 songs and they'd say, well, geez, they're going to get nine of them right at least. And so person after person who had this knowledge, right, who understood the playlist, they thought the person sitting across the table would get the songs right at a very high rate. Well, then they brought people in and they would say, okay, you're going to tap the songs out on the playlist and the person next to you without talking is going to see how many they can guess right. And the person hardly ever got any of them right. And so these guys, which didn't start to be this curse of knowledge case study, actually turned into it because what they saw is that the salesperson or the person tapping, as they called it, doesn't have the understanding of the person across the table guessing the, the, the actual song, or you could say buying. And so what happens is, is we have this curse of knowledge and we think that everybody else has the knowledge because it's so damn easy. It's just diesel fuel. It's just cetane. It's just, you know, cold filter plug points. And you, you have all these things come in your head and you think the person sitting across from you, they should get it, but they don't. And so things go sideways real quick. And in the sales process, you know, taking that full circle. If you're sitting across from your prospect and you're talking about, you know, selling a product and or service, let's just say websites. And you think that for one second, because that person owns a five or $10 million business, you think that they know anything about websites. You're wrong. They don't, or at least you should take it from that base under that base understanding that you're starting fresh and then build upon it from questioning, not from assumptions. Well, I've had uh, I had Matt Nettleton on the podcast, gosh, months ago, and one of the things that he said that kind of resonates here with me with this, he said, it's not the things that you know, I'm sorry, it's not the things you don't know in sales that will kill you. It's the things that you assume that you know that just aren't true that will absolutely kill you. I think that's kind of fitting to what you're saying. Yep, totally agree. 
That's awesome. Todd, one of the things that uh, you know my audience always kind of gives me feedback on is like, hey, Jim, you're interviewing some great people uh, that have obviously been very successful. Uh, and I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, you know, you just recently sold uh, your agency. So there's some, some big success in that. But they want to hear the other side of it. They want to hear a time where you weren't as successful. Is there a failure point that in your career, Todd, that you can look at and be like, you know what, that one stands out? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> Uh, all right, I'll bear my soul. So, um, you know, I was, I, I coming off of, um, you know, selling diesel fuel chemicals and some life situations transpired and I had to make a change. And so I thought I could sell life insurance. And so I, I went through this life insurance program and I thought my success in B2B sales could easily be transferred to selling, you know, Mary and Bob Smith at the kitchen table life insurance because everybody needs life insurance. I had life insurance and I thought, who wouldn't want to buy life insurance? Well, it comes to find out not a lot of people like to talk about death, especially from somebody who's 27 years old who doesn't know anything about life insurance or death for that matter. So in the four months that I actually sold life insurance, I only sold two policies. And while you could take that as a mild victory, I actually bought those two policies myself. So <laughs> I was probably the worst life insurance salesman in Indiana, if not the Midwest. I want to. I just want to make sure I heard that correctly. You sold the only two policies that you sold were to yourself. Yes, and to my credit, being such a great salesperson, I still have both of those policies today. <laughs> so that's how good I was. That is fantastic. Todd, on that note, we're going to take a quick break so that I can thank my sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales Tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Todd, are you ready for the money round? Bring it on, big dog. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I would have to say it is uh, our family mantra. So uh, there's a stupid movie um, that's got the guy from Tool Time in it. Uh, came out in 1999, I think, called Galaxy Quest. And I watched that with my then seven and eight-year-old kids and there's a part of it where they talk about never give up, never surrender, and they do that throughout the whole movie. And we actually, after watching that show, we made it our family mantra. And no matter what challenges that my family or my kids are in business that have hit us, we just we always say never give up, never surrender. And swear to God, if you called my 14-year-old on the phone right now and you said, hey, Maggie, never give up, she would say, Never surrender. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Todd, if you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? 
ah, next 30 days, trying to make selling a profession. You know, when I started, I, I just did sales and I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I didn't make it a profession. And I'd want to, I'd, I'd want to figure out how to do that. Would that be schooling? Would that be training? Would that be, you know, getting a coach or a mentor, but you know, just really making a paradigm shift to say that sales is a profession and not just something that people do when they're, they're lost. I really like that a lot. And, and it's, it's your money round, so I'm not going to belabor, but I really do like that. Uh, two part question for you here, which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose. I hate to lose. I hate it. Um, I just have high expectations for myself. And so everything that I do, everything I think I should win. And so my expectation is I should win. So I just hate to lose. We, uh, we have a lot in common on that one, but I think that's why we get along so well. Uh, Todd, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? I would say, you know, I just recommended it to somebody yesterday. It's called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Um, it's just a great book to help budding entrepreneurs understand um, how to be not working in the business, but on the business is the whole genesis of the book. So I love it. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Todd's suggestion of the E-Myth Revisited, head over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Todd, what is something that you believe in that nearly no one agrees with you on? Uh, you know, you always hear people say that, oh, he's a natural born salesman or salesperson. And I just like, I just don't buy that. I just, I believe that there's no such thing as a natural born salesperson. So that could be one. What do we say uh, the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Uh, you know, I think the sales tuners have to know that life isn't fair and you get not what you deserve, but what you negotiate. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Todd. How could someone find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to? You can simply go to LinkedIn and type in Todd Muffley, or you can email me and you'll find me at Todd at think-b.com. Todd at think-b.com. Damn it. Todd, get back to sailing. This was a pleasure. I really enjoy you having you. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. I'm so excited for Todd. I know that selling his business was a huge milestone, but the sacrifices I've seen him make over the last 12 years culminated in a huge win for him and his family. And I hope that he enjoys spending some time uh, on his boat. He's such a great guy. I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, nurture wins. Nurture campaigns are an investment, but they can pay huge dividends in the long term. In general, no one will ever buy less because you care more. So finding ways to engage with prospects at another level than simply making a phone call or sending an email makes a significant difference these days. What can you send a prospect to differentiate yourself and show them you really care? Number two, push your tone to the limit. On a scale of one to 10, with one being the beloved Fred Rogers and 10, the brutally honest Joan Rivers, where do you fall? Being nice is, well, nice and all, but sometimes it helps to step outside your comfort zone. 
Understanding where you fall on the tonal scale is important, but more important is finding the line of where your prospect sits. What can you say to move them to the edge of emotion and stand out in their inbox? If you upset some people along the way, so be it. It doesn't make sense to dwell on the one or two people you may have shocked when you see the increased pipeline you're able to build. And number three, understand the curse of knowledge. You know what they say about making assumptions, right? Don't do it. Why? Because aside from the obvious negative consequences, the knowledge in your head may actually be harder for others to comprehend than you think. It's easy to assume that because you have domain knowledge, everyone does. But unfortunately, that's simply not the case. It's always better to start fresh and build upon a mutual understanding than to assume you're already on the same page. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.